Hello and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. I'm James Burney, a financial services and fintech partner at Gunner Cook. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Sarah Green, Law Commissioner for Commercial and Common Law at Law Commission of England and Wales, and Matthew Kimber, Lawyer at the Law Commission. Hi, Sarah Matthew. It's great to have you on. Hi, James. Thanks for having us. Uh, hi, James. So, and uh, apologies for a sort of basic question to open, but I think it'd be helpful for people listening just to have an overview of who the Law Commission are and the kind of role that the Law Commission plays within the UK. Can you sort of give us all backgrounds as, as to what the Law Commission does? Absolutely, yes. So we are an arm's length body from government, which means we are independent from government. Um, we Our work is referred to us by government, but we conduct each project in uh, an independent and consultative way. So we don't take on work from government if the conclusion is in any way prejudged or if there is anything that the government particularly wants an outcome to be. That's not what we do. Um, so we work in a very balanced way. We take on a project. Our main objective is to make sure that the law is fair, modern and accessible. And so we formulate proposals for how to reform the law if we decide that that's what's uh, necessary. And the way that we do that is by consulting with stakeholders from both sides of the debate, if it's a controversial issue, and really just with anyone who is going to be affected by that law or who might use that law or who might write about that law. We also consult with academics. We come up with proposals. We then consult on those as well. So as you can see, it is a highly consultative process. And we then present our proposals uh, to government and then the ball is in their courts and they decide whether or not to adopt them. If we have produced draft legislation, which we sometimes do, that will then, of course, go to Parliament. So that's essentially how we work. And of course, one, one, one the reason we have you on is your work currently going on in crypto assets and in particular, the digital asset consultation, which you're currently undertaking. Can you give a kind of brief background as to what the purpose of the digital asset consultation is and kind of why it is that crypto asset firms should take note of and, and get engaged with the digital asset consultation? So we are in the process of making sure that the law of England and Wales is able to accommodate crypto assets, digital assets, and really to recognise the functionality that they need to have in law and that parties' um, legitimate expectations are met in relation to them. What's currently missing, I think, and this is really important in a commercial setting, is that there is very little certainty. So parties are not at the moment able to know for sure what the legal treatment of their digital assets is going to be. And that is problematic. And that's one of the things we want to remedy. Our um, work in this area is looking at making the legal treatment of digital assets analogous to the current legal treatment of tangible assets. And we first ask the question whether that's appropriate. And if we come to the conclusion um, that it is appropriate, then we need to look at how to go about doing that. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that that happens in the most effective way. And one of the ways of ensuring that is by speaking to as many people as possible 
who are going to be involved with this legal application, who are going to use this law and to hear what they have to say about it. And that's it, it's really important that if people disagree with our proposals or disagree with our approach, that they tell us we're not precious about our proposals. The whole point is um, that we want um, to hear genuine ideas. We want to hear exactly uh, what those users think of our proposals to make sure that we do um, the best job possible. So if you have any views on what we're doing, then we definitely want to know about them. And I think it's interesting just to just to add that you often hear um, market participants talking about um, crypto assets being some type, some sort of bearer type security. Um, and, and that may well be how kind of market participants and stakeholders are treating them. But if it's not how the law is treating them, then there's kind of a, a, a difference or a distinction between how the law works and how how market participants see it and that's that's not helpful for legal certainty so that's one of the reasons why we think it's so important to hear from the market participants to make sure there is that isn't that disconnect thanks i think just just because i'm aware that the the crypto asset markets are really quite manic at the moment and therefore people listening in might have certain parts of the consultation they are more focused on the others are there any areas where you feel it'd be particularly useful for those in the industry to focus their energies in terms of giving extra clarity or, or areas which you think you know particular brain power needs to go into it in order to get the best outcome we're, we're, we're at an early stage in in how the law treats um these type of assets so one of the fundamental questions is what is the thing that is a crypto asset and how do market participants treat that thing and there's a whole there's a whole load of articles that talk about um often they relate to bitcoin but but more broadly to kind of crypto assets what is that thing is it just a piece of information um i've seen it called uh kind of storage of time uh michael saylor talks about it as being some sort of monetary battery those type of things but but what do you guys what do market participants think of when you're conceptualizing a crypto asset and is it a thing in and of itself or is it simply just data or an entry in a in a distributed ledger um and the reason that's important is because you really need to work from that fundamental basis to then go and conceptualize and make sure the law applies in the correct way because if if you if you conceptualize the crypto asset wrong to start with then i think the law will not treat it in the same way or will not treat it right for the purposes of kind of more complex laws so that's that's the first question and then i think the second really important question is how do market participants see transfers working in relation to these assets do you treat them as bearer instruments that that are transferred by effectively transferring possession of that instrument um, to somebody else or or do you see it as as operating in a little bit of a different way perhaps more like a bank account transfer again that's really really important because for basic transfers we want to make sure that the analysis is correct from a legal perspective but also that it reflects how market participants treat it and then clearly market participants don't just transfer from alice to bob a whole load of more complex 
interesting arrangements are actually going on, often involving some form of intermediary, different intermediaries from the traditional bank intermediaries, but still intermediaries. And there are also derivatives of assets, there's staking going on, there's provision of collateral, there's discrete log contracts, et cetera, et cetera. So we really want to understand the fundamental analysis, the simple analysis, so that legal analysis of the more complex transactions actually works, but also actually reflects what what the market is doing, what participants are doing. Um, and, and one consequence is basically we just don't want to break anything by saying some, we think this is how crypto assets work when actually the market is doing something completely different. That's, that's interesting. I think just, just one thing I think it's worth just having clarity on is you tend to get people use the word crypto asset and they just mean Bitcoin is actually there's a wide variety of crypto assets out there. And then you get the other group who refer to digital assets, which mean everything from a kind of a CD-ROM to anything involving a computer. In terms of the focus of the current consultation, is it any form of crypto asset? Is it broader than that? Is it really focused on Bitcoin? It'd be helpful just because we've got Lots of people listening with lots of different types of token and different token structures. So it helps just have a bit of colour as to kind of the breadth of, of, of what is meant by digital assets for the purpose of this consultation. Yeah, that's I think that's a really important point to make. Um, is that this uh, project certainly at this stage is is very broad because what it is that we're really concerned about is um making sure that we do get to that point where there is a analogy of, of legal treatment and we don't want to exclude both current types of intangible asset i think i think maybe using the term intangible asset probably covers um is, is probably closer to the the coverage of the project as we see it at the moment because what we're trying to do is take all of those assets which at the moment do not get the treatment that parties expect them to have because they are intangible. And it all comes down to the question of possession in law. If something can't be possessed, there's all sorts of things that it therefore um, cannot do and things cannot be done in relation to it. And of course, at the moment, as a matter of English law, intangible things can't be possessed. So whether they are NFTs, whether they are virtual currencies, whether they are um, some form of dematerialized, say, security, anything to which possession is a relevant or could be a relevant characteristic, we're interested in those. And that's partly, as I say, for the, for the current time, but it's also about making sure that any legal reforms that we put into um, place are resilient. Because, of course, at the moment, everyone's talking about distributed ledger technology, well, they have been for a while, um, but we don't know. None of us knows exactly what the next generation of technologies is going to bring and what the next generation of intangible assets is going to look like. And we don't really want to be in a position where every five or 10 years, there has to be um, a new set of law reforms to accommodate those. So that's a very long answer, but basically saying that wherever something is intangible and therefore um, session is relevant to it, then it is certainly at this stage of our project relevant to it. So if anybody who's listening is thinking that perhaps the digital assets they're concerned with should be um, the object of our consideration, then um, please do um, respond in relation to them. That's really helpful. And I think the, the next question is kind of 
so th there'll be a consultation period but what happens after the consultation closes is there kind of chance for further feedback is there further reflection just is or is it a question of you know that there is an end date and after the end date that that that's the end of it and and you go and do your thing just how how do how will the consultation work after the, the end date i think when is the end date and also probably the most important part is, is for those who are listening how is it best that they can engage with the consultation so at this stage um we have a call for evidence and that um yeah so 31st of july is the end of the consultation process for this stage we then spend three months um analyzing the responses that we get um and then we put together uh, the next stage of um the project uh, which is the set of proposals which we come up with as a result of the analysis of responses and then we um, invite uh, consultation on those uh, again. So the end of July is certainly not um, the end of the process, so we consult at every stage. Uh, so it would be fantastic to hear from as many people as possible uh, by the end of July, but that certainly isn't your uh, last opportunity. Um, Matt, did you want to add anything to that? I was just going to add that um, this is intended to be a really facilitative and open process, so all of our questions and our, our documents are online. Um, and the, the call for evidence is really asking market participants what they're doing in practice, how they're experiencing these assets, how they're dealing with them, how they're treating with them. What are you guys actually doing? Um, and why do and why do our kind of questions matter to you? Um, that's that's a slightly different question to the the kind of the questions that we'll be asking once we have put our proposals into a consultation paper, because then clearly we will have set out our initial thoughts and we'll be asking for for feedback on those thoughts. So this. This call for evidence is really a, a very open initial part of the process, um, which hopefully should allow market participants to to be able to feed back to us, even if they don't necessarily have views on all of the particularly complex legal questions that we're asking there as well. Uh, I think just one last question just to round off, but, you know, are you looking for particular because some people have views but aren't necessarily lawyers and don't necessarily come out of the lawyer's mindset are you open for people who are you know completely non-lawyers and all the rest of it and who may not, not have any legal training whatsoever to still express views as, as to how they think these things should work because they might be say from a more technical background and, and therefore be more interested from the sort of coding side absolutely yes um i mean in a sense I uh, certainly don't want to put lawyers off at all, but of course, in a sense, because we're all lawyers, it's almost more helpful to hear from people who aren't lawyers because it's very difficult, as you know, after years of thinking of things through a legal lens, to put yourself in a different position. And certainly um, not everybody on the team, um, well, nobody on the team is uh, a guide-in-the-wall technologist. So we absolutely want to hear from those who are and from people who might be neither. There might be people who use these assets or who interact with these assets in some way on a daily basis. And it really doesn't matter whether you have the technology um, background or if you have a legal background. If you have any interest at all in how these things are doing, we do want to hear from you. 
That's brilliant. I'm afraid that that's all we've got time for. If anyone listening wants to reach out directly to Sarah, her email is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H dot green at lawcommission.gov.uk. And Matthew's email is Matthew dot Kimber, K-I-M-B-E-R at lawcommission.gov.uk. So, Matthew, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. It's been fascinating. Thank you, Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Gunner Cook has a market-leading blockchain, crypto assets and DeFi team, providing legal advice across the whole of the blockchain ecosystem. Our members have been heavily involved in helping shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets from the start meaning that we have an intuitive understanding of our clients' needs and can provide focused, pragmatic advice at predictable cost. For more information, please visit our website. Thank you again.